dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sitting down with TV and film actor, screenwriter, author, painter, and vintner, Gary Conway, as he shares his story of how surviving a helicopter crash led to his purchasing that very land that he crashed on, which is now the site of his luxury wine brand, Carmody McKnight Winery. Joining in the conversation is Mark Edelman, marketing and DTC manager. Blush. I want to give a big shout out to Michael Kelly for leaving this review on our Podbean channel. Have enjoyed Lori Bud's take on wine, wine topics, and journeys to areas which are uncommon. Great job. Thank you, Michael, for listening and for leaving this fantastic review. This truly is the best way to show support of the podcast and to help let other wine lovers find Exploring the Wine Glass. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracaena Wines. Today, I am sitting down with, I don't know, you are definitely the most famous person that I have had on this podcast. I have never had the pleasure of somebody who has been on TV other than wine TV or anything like that. Um, But we are sitting down with Gary Conway and Mark Ellerman of Carmody McKnight uh, winery in Paso Robles. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, Mark, can you give us a little background on how you are related to the winery? Well, one morning, uh, right when it was known that the pandemic uh, was beginning in March, I got a phone call from Gary Conway. And I have no idea how he found me. But he uh, he, he was mentioning that his winery is really changing its focus into more of a direct-to-consumer model. And he needed some marketing expertise. And he asked me to, to take a look at his story and the history of the winery and to come up with ideas on where to take uh, this luxury winery. And as soon as I started to dive into the, the Conway history, and the story of the winery, I just became very fascinated by it. And so then uh, it's been well since March now, and, uh, and I've just been having a great time working very closely with Gary and, uh, and his wife, Marion McKnight Conway, uh, on, uh, on the wines and developing uh, certain labels and also uh, revamping our direct-to-consumer online presence uh, in such a way for people to come to uh, CarmonyMcKnight.com and learn so much about the history 
of the family heritage, which is a truly pioneering uh, heritage of West Paso Robles, and, uh, and also uh, order some wines in the future. <laughs> so prior to, prior to that, I, have, uh, I started my wine uh, 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 expertise in 1985 in Boulder, Colorado, uh, selling mostly French wines. Uh, and, uh, and took that into a lot of different areas of restaurants. And then I became a tourism marketer and my firm, Mental Marketing, uh, really handled a lion's share of the tourism marketing business of San Luis Obispo County. Yes. And how do, you, how do you market tourism in San Luis Obispo County? Well, you market the wines. Wine, <laughs> absolutely, marketing the wine. <laughs> and I will say too that the, the, when you think of, uh, we got the vineyard maybe before we planted the grape about 50 years ago. And we planted about 38, I, but the background of that is I, sold half of this ranch uh, to Justin Baldwin. Oh, okay. And, and uh, at that, we, we were essentially the very first to plant on the west side, and to some extent on the east side. There's a couple others, like Dr. Hoffman, who did some experimental with Andre Shilashev. So, but in that period, 35, 40 years, 40, you, that's a long time. And I started with Paso Robles, at a point when Possible was a joke. And I met that joke one day when we made wine the very first time and I thought I'd be smart to bring a bottle of wine to LA to sell it in Santa Monica. And again, I was very naive. And when I walked in there to the shop, he said, uh, I said, this is, uh, believe, me, believe me, it was a, a bit of a Cabernet, well, it was a blend at that point. And he said to me, uh, I like your label, and, and it's smelling the wine. He said, where does it come from? I said, Paso Robles. And he said, what? Paso Robles? And I realized we have a long way to go, a long way to go. <laughs> and now I, and, but now, at this point, I know through science and studies, so many of which have been on our vineyard for 10, 20 years, some of the most important, if not the most important in all agriculture, that Paso Robles, especially Paso Robles west side near the ocean, is by far, 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 far the most important and best place for viticulture in the world. Nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. We're the only just essential for great viticulture is a Mediterranean climate. And most people in your audience, most people don't realize that the Mediterranean climate has left California, has left France, has left Italy. And the only Mediterranean climate that we have now, and this was defined by one of the Cal Poly professors, climatologists, is in the west side of Paso Robles. And I think that's a stunning, stunning realization. And uh, I don't know what we're all going to have to do about it, what people are going to have to uh, relocate, and I think that's coming up. Climate warming, I just read an article about Napa and Sonoma that, that a lot of that is probably going to have to be relocation and different varietals. Uh, but anyway, I have a long, incredible background, uh, especially in the science of all this, because we've had over 300, 300 viticultural earth scientists 
led by Dr. Tom Rice, who had a, you, you know, Cal Poly, and, um, and who, uh, and from all over the world, by the way, and who studied every aspect. And the reason they, they chose that vineyard, because at that point, we had never, and to this time, never fertilized, never fertilized it, never sprayed, never did anything but grow wine like done for centuries. You put a vine in the ground, it comes up, you get the grace best you can, and you make wine and you don't add anything to it. You don't even add oak. That would be unthinkable. <laughs> well, before we get into a little bit more of, of your wine making style and all of that, first I have to say happy belated birthday. It was oh, just earlier true. this week, right? Or, yeah, or late last week? Yeah. See, I do a good job of snooping, don't I? When I go to interview it's somebody? I'm worried. <laughs> so first, happy belated birthday. Um, and right. then we have to kind of go, for, for you, we have to kind of go really back into the history. Because it really you, your history is really intriguing, pre-wide. I mean, um, yes. You were the youngest artist to win a major prize at the LA County Art Exhibition. Right. Like you were right. only 15 I, years old. Um, I, first of all, I give you all credit because I can't even draw a stick figure. Like one arm is this way and one arm is this way, you know, whatever it is to figure. So, so art is always an amazing thing to me. Um, and uh, so winning that award and then what, like, did you initially say I'm going to be an artist and, and in that competition? I decided to be an artist. I decided to be an artist. when I was about four or five years old. Did you? I love painting and my parents encouraged me and I got a lot of attention. And by the time I was 14, I had won four scholarships in art with Chenard wow. art center. Um, uh, and, and the four most important on the West coast. And it was so unusual to have done that, uh, that my school, high school, allowed me to go to my scholarships in the afternoon. I'd go to L.A. in the morning. Wow. So when I was 14, 15, I spent all this time at, at Chenard, as I said, in Art Center and, uh, and, and a couple of the other uh, great schools. And that's how I started my life in a way. And... Uh, and I was always going to be an artist. What, what is your favorite? Um, uh, oh, see, I'm blanking on the word. Uh, like, you know, people use acrylics, people use oil, you know, like. I uh, use everything. Yeah, uh, even yeah. You see, I don't know if you see a painting behind. Yes, I can. But I, I love all kinds of stuff. So in my paintings, I have, I use a, a lot of pencil inks you can see come through. And I use uh, oil colors and. Uh, and then there's a, a new kind of paint, which is a water-based oil color. I use that. So, because uh, they all have wonderful, it's like winemaking. You want to use different kinds of grapes that can make up a unique combination. And to me, art, that's why art and wine, in many ways, are very similar, very lucid. And, and by the way, that's, that's in terms of our luxury of wine, as we are using that term. Uh, why wines, um, for instance, in Napa, I think the top 25 wines, the cheapest sells for $500 a bottle. But the top most expensive wines in the world, the cheapest sells for $1,500 a bottle. 
but you can't, no one can explain that. No one can explain, there's no scientific way of explaining. It's very much in the art world. After all, Van Gogh couldn't sell a painting all of his life. His right. mother hated painting so much as most people did. They, she burned them. Yet today he's the most expensive artist who ever lived. So how do you explain that? Well, right. explain that because he had a story that people were attracted to. And once they understood what he was up to, understood uh, him to a great extent, they put a price on that. Right. And so to me, a, a wine today without a story ain't going nowhere. Absolutely. And same thing with Monet. He was like desolate, right? He had nothing. Most of the impressionists were. Gauguin was another yeah. favorite of mine. I mean, he was yeah. destitute. He got yeah. to sell a few paintings. Yeah. Uh, and so it's also, so when you finally say, well, if Van Gogh was worth nothing, why is he worth in a painting now 500 million? The painting didn't change. The painting didn't get better. It's a story people like. Now, you believe the same thing with wine. Right. Why does Romani Conti get $11,000 a bottle? A little bit of the history. Why, why does a Scarecrow up in yeah. Napa get $1,500? But can anybody explain that? Because people are willing to pay it. <laughs> well, they're willing to pay it only because they've heard about it and they're they paying this for the story. Right. They want right. to be part. They want to be part of that story. Absolutely. But wine, Absolutely. remember, uh, my point was that wine and art uh, have this quality in common. Artichokes don't <laughs> or making <laughs> shoes. <doesn't. laughs> no one cares. It's a good yeah. one. And there are, by the way, there are areas that make the greatest artichoke Artichokes in the world. Ever. Absolutely. But nobody, nobody really <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. So you are also, you, you are very, very creative because I also, you, you're an accomplished violinist who yes. played in the Hollywood played in the Bowl. Hollywood, played in the Hollywood Bowl. Oh my gosh. When I was in high school and I played the high school orchestra. So I was able to qualify the high school orchestra in the Hollywood Bowl for a great concert. That, was that must be that must be amazing. I've attended concerts there. I went to my undergrad was outside of LA, so um, so uh, I attended concerts there. But oh my God, that's that that must have been was, incredible. It, it, you have to make decisions even at a young age uh, because I got really good with the violin, but I was facing five hours a day to practice. So at age 15, if I had to be serious about it, I would have to come home from school at the next four or five hours be yep. playing my violin. And, and so that was occurring while I had these great scholarships and I was attending my art schools. That it always go for three hours in the afternoon. It took me a bit of time to get there. And so that was a critical moment in my life. Are you going to be a violinist? Are you going to be... An artist. an artist, right? And uh, I, I said, I thought to myself, actually, I'm a better artist than a violinist, and uh, and so I went that way, and knew that I would have to spend all my time in art, and I became an art major at UCLA, which has nothing to do with actually painting and drawing. It's a lot of ended up being history, and I would have continued except one day. Uh, when I had to make the decision, like uh, I had to make the ultimate decision. Okay, I'm going to be the artist. So now I'll go to Paris and study and starve for the rest of my life. So, 
that was what I had in front of me. And then uh, one day somebody said, hey, would you, would you like to have a contract with Warner Brothers? There was the number one TV producer right about that time in 1959, 1960. They were doing all the shows. And I said, and it was a, kind of a lot of money, especially. So I thought to myself, wait a minute. Am I going to go and starve? Or am I going to hang out at Warren Brothers with all the stars <laughs> and make you know, four or $500 a week? I thought, hmm, I think I'm going to stick it out here and do that. And, but I, was, I kept painting, kept drawing, even had a, an exhibit right during that time and so on. Because you never so, stop thinking as an artist. That's my, my basic. So I wanted drive. to ask that, like, how did, how did you go from art history and architecture, right? That you also were studying architecture in UCLA. Mm -hmm. How do you go from there to to be to being asked, do you want to be on a show in, in Warner Brothers? Well, what, like, ha what happens <laughs> in my case and other cases is uh, it happened two or three times. Uh, somebody saw me and said, hey, I think- There's a good looking you, guy. You could make it as an actor. And he, I was, I was in the army doing a radio show, which is a little bit and, and volunteer, I volunteered for the Army. Imagine that. Yeah. How great that is. Mm -hmm. uh, people I know who got high up never volunteered. Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, and so when I uh, came out, the agent uh, saw me somewhere. And in fact, I've had that two or three times. And he said, uh, you know, you look just like Burt Lancaster. And Burt Lancaster was kind of the reigning guy at that time. And, and studios, when they hire people for contract, hire because you're the actor. You have to kind of look like a previous actor, you know, because then they figure you're an actor right? and you can do well. <laughs> can do well. And uh, also the other actor I was always, uh, I don't know whether you know him, he's a wonderful guy too, uh, Dale Robertson. So it was Dale Robertson and Burt Lancaster. And so that's how I started because when I was introduced, he looks just like Dale Robinson, who's doing a series at that time, or just like Burt Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. It's kind of easy in a way if you have a certain look. Okay. I guess I guess I don't have that look. I was in LA quite a bit. I guess I don't have that look. Um, but I can't explain it. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even um, I'm a huge horror film fan. Like, like oh, Phoenix Frankenstein. That was what I did. Yes. What? I starred. That was one of the early things I did. Was I was a teenage Frankenstein. Oh yes. Yeah. And that was really people don't realize the the real first uh, horror show which used uh, makeup horror, mm -hmm. and that's become a, all if you all horror films today or all of these films. Uh, use makeup, but before that, you think of the original Frankenstein. There was no makeup, and, and no other film ever had it. Dean Frankenstein was the first one. And I spent three hours in the chair getting made up. Oh my that gosh. was the first of its kind, believe it or not. Well, my favorite, my favorite film has taken that to the next level because I love Freddy Krueger. So Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. how much it, you know how much time he had to spend to get all of that burn, you know, right. all over. But um, I I loved him so much. I loved those shows so much that I actually wrote them a, a letter and said, um, "Listen, because I'm originally from New Jersey, 
right by New York, but I go to college in California, LA. So I wrote them a note. They probably thought I was insane if they actually ever read it. But I'm like, listen, I love these movies. I want to be in the movie. You don't have to pay me. You don't have to pay me a thing. All I want to do is be killed by Freddy Krueger. Like that's all I want to do. Just let Freddy kill me. You can, you can make me be the last person who dies. And you know, I'm, I'm in the film the whole time. You don't have to pay. I never got heard. I never heard a word. By the way, Teenage Frankenstein followed a teenage uh, werewolf, werewolf, which was a, but both of them, by the way, were monster hits. I hate to use that term. Yeah. They're the biggest <laughs> film. As a matter of fact, I changed my name from Gareth Conway to Gary Conway because of it. Because when uh, this agent said, do you like the teenage, I, I, I'm going to take the teenage, and I, I got the part, and that was followed. I, uh, Michael Landon, who had done uh, Teenage Rofa, and I, when I say a big hit, it, it, was, it blew everything away. The AIP was the, was the fledgling... Uh, uh, company that did it and it just rocked everything but what was funny was when uh, when I did the film I was embarrassed to be in it was almost like being in a porn film for me <laughs> but not quite and uh, and what happened was um, the I thought well you're never going to see it that when I first did it, it was going to what and then I, went, I was going to UCLA and there's the Crest Theater you said right Westwood Boulevard and uh, and there I saw on the marquee, Teenage Frankenstein. And then uh, uh, I, that, but I had, it forced me before to change my name from Gary Cummings to Gary Cummings. I didn't want to be associated with it. But that, but that's the point. So <laughs> that's I why you changed your name. <laughs> that, that even though I said, no, no, everybody saw it anyway. Because I didn't want to go, it's an art student. Go in there and, and then say, oh, look at what did Teenage Frankenstein paint today? <laughs> oh, you know? all right. So all right. I had to protect myself, but it didn't, my point is it didn't work. I was going to ask where, why, you know, how do we go from Carmody to Conway? Why that was is the reason. that? All right. That was the okay. So we're going we're gonna to shift a little bit um, direction and get into wine. But before we actually talk about uh, Carmody McKnight, I just want to know, what would, everybody has an aha wine moment. So, Mark, you can, t you can share your aha wine moment also. Like, was there, what was the wine that you were like, huh, this is pretty good. And hmm, I think I want to get a little bit more into this. So uh, the... I don't know if there are, there are probably many moments. Actually, there's one, the, the, probably the greatest wine moment I had was in the, in the first chapter in this book when uh, we planted our grapes and three, four years later, we made our first wine. And actually, it was a, we also planted Chardonnay. And, uh, and when Marion and I, we, we saved the moment to be outside and at the end of the day and look at the view and we did not have any experience with the wine, but we opened the bottle, we poured each a glass. We had not tasted it at all and spent four years in this making. And we both uh, put each glass to our lips and we swallowed it. And that's a moment you can never yep. retell. I agree. That is because you put, there was four years 
And and by the way, as you know, I think you know the story. Crash landing in that wine glass. Yeah, we're gonna to get we're to gonna it. get to that. We're gonna get to that. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember I remember the first taste of our very first Cab Franc, and I remember it. Uh, you know, first time we tasted it in barrel, and then the first time we tasted it in bottle, and then the first time we tasted it after a little bottle shock. <laughs> you know, um, memories. But uh, so, Mark, do you have it? Do you have an aha moment? Like, yeah, wine is uh, wine is where I want to go. Well, I I think I've had probably way too many aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I sure did. Well. I remember a 19-year-old kid. Uh, I uh, saved up my money to uh, travel Europe um, one summer after uh, uh, one season or one school year going to Cuesta College. I'm a local boy. Oh, all right. So, so I, uh, I put down uh, one year at Cuesta College, and I saved up a bunch of money. And I said, well, I'm going to go visit my girlfriend in Helsinki, Finland. And uh, spent, spent about three months there and then decided, okay, I'm going to get a Eurail pass and I'm just going to cruise around France and, and uh, Belgium and what have you. And uh, I uh, showed up on the 4th of July in Paris at the, uh, the American embassy. And at the embassy, they throw a huge party for, you know, on the 4th of July. And I showed my passport and they brought me on in and and lo and behold there's just a bunch of you know americans drinking a lot <laughs> and, imagine that <laughs> imagine that and it just so happened that uh in this one courtyard a busload of girls from palo alto showed up mm-hmm. and uh and i noticed that there was a keg and that was unattended and a bunch of bottles of wine unattended and these this, these girls came on in and then one of the, the embassy personnel said, hey, would you mind helping us pour? <laughs> and so I'm like, sure, why not? So I ended up spending the night just pouring wine and beer. And at the end of the night, uh, they gave me this bottle of wine. I had no idea what it was. And, uh, and lo and behold, there was this uh, beautiful bottle of, uh, of uh, Margot. Oh. And uh, Chateau Margot. And I'm like, thank you very, very much. And, and I went on my way and decided I was going to travel through the Loire Valley the next day. And, uh, and then I just started, you know, you know, uh, enjoying collecting this bottles. Trip the Loire Valley, <laughs> collecting bottles along the way. But that was really my first, you know, eye opening experience to some really, really great wines. And that kind of ruined me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Being, uh, to have that be your first is experience it, it that's a high bar that's a high bar yep. to set <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so so now gary everybody has you know as you were talking earlier you know you have your stories and it's the stories that sell and all of that and everybody you know we have our reasons for why we love our vineyards and everybody has their reasons for why they love their vineyards and but like you are obviously the only person who has this story for how you found your vineyard. I mean, you crash landed into this land. So first, what were you doing in a helicopter and how and why did you crash land well, onto this property? Uh, living in LA, it had the world's worst smog at that point. And oh. uh, I'd go out and play a little touch football, play some tennis. And within a half hour, I, I 
had a real problem breathing, as all my friends did. And I said, that if I were an Indian or an Indian tribe, we'd have all left LA, but we, you know, we have to stay there to go through this. And I said, but I got to find a place to go on occasion where I can breathe. And uh, I was doing a series called Burke's Law at that time, a very famous series. And, and one of my actor friends who was a lot of the series said, I talked to him about, we were discussing that. And he said, you know, my brother has a beautiful place up in a town called Paso Robles. And I never heard of it. And he said, here's a ranch. And I'm going to tell you one thing about that place, but it has the greatest air. And he kept asking about coming up with him to see it. And I kept saying no. And at one point I said, damn it, okay, we'll go up. And so I got a group of friends because I was going to go that far. I was going to drive in a car myself. We just maybe go up with about eight guys and girls and their wives. And we did. And I, it was on the, the east side of Passero Place. And I had never had a greater time in my life. It was a real ranch. Uh, we were chasing horses. There was a great pond. We swim in the middle of my bed. But the point is, I could I took great breaths for two days. I could breathe. <laughs> and on the way down, and the car was night, and I was driving, and my wife Mary was next to me, and I said, I said, you know, we're going to buy a place there. And she thought I was crazy and didn't quite get it. Then I contacted my friend who introduced and then he, um, uh, I said, you know, good real estate agent up there. And he said, yeah, you've got us. He gave me the name. I contacted him. And then I went up there to look at what I thought was going to be an acre of land. That was, because that's what I was living in Brentwood at the time, Rebella, Santa Monica. And an acre was a big deal. You got an yeah. acre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's so life to me was an acre somewhere, right? And this would be an acre where I could breathe. And so we went up and uh, I met Archie McLaren. No, 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 it wasn't Archie. It was uh, uh, the name escapes me right now, uh, but the, the real estate guy. And he, we talked about it over some wine. I said, I, I just want to have a place where I could breathe. It's, it's beautiful around here. I want to be able to do this, do that. Jim Smoot, that was his name, Jim Smoot. And, uh, and he said, I got just a place for you, just a place. This was about two hours after we were drinking pretty good. And we went down into what I thought was a barn. And I thought we'd get into his Cadillac. Because that's what Brent would build. All the real estate people with Cadillacs. Instead of a Cadillac, <laughs> he brings out this helicopter. And I thought, wow, this is pretty interesting. So we got in this helicopter. I said goodbye to my wife and his wife. And we rose up in there and we started going. Uh, he lived uh, right where the high school is. Okay. And middle of town. And we started lifting up going higher, and as you get high enough, as we go west, you realize the mountains, the rolling mountains, and at that point, it was uh, a little late at this time, and everything was incredibly green. As we got higher, I could even see the Pacific a little bit over the hills, and we went from one valley to another valley, and then we went into this one uh, mountain valley that really 
took my breath away looking at it. And then he turned to me and said, this is it. I said, oh, this is the land you're going to show me. And of course, if you know where we are, that's its own uh, valley, so to speak, with the mountains going up. And he said, yeah, this is it. And it was so gorgeous of them. It took my imagination into the, the outskirts. And Forget that one acre in Brentwood, man. Well, <laughs> but I said, where's, where's the land? He said, it's all of it. It's 320 acres. And just, it was an acre. And just as absorbing that, I thought to myself, I'm going to buy this place. This is too beautiful. And he suggested a price that to me was maybe the price of an acre of breadwood. And just as I was thinking about that, there was an explosion. And he had hit as he was coming down these very high tension wires. At that oh, my gosh. He began spinning, and I knew we were going down because hel helicopters, no way. And, it, and I kept my focus on the land, and I thought to myself, this is what sounds strange. If I live, I'll buy the place. And we crashed, got up, and I said, I think I'm alive. And uh, by the time the farmer who lived there came up and tried to figure out what was going on, and I said we had to get back to uh, the realtor's house. And uh, and on the way, uh, Marion and his wife, they were absolutely horror-struck as they thought we had crashed a couple hours before because there was no news or no, no, no contact. When I walked in the door, she went about like this and said, hey, I just saw the greatest place. We're going to buy it. <laughs> like, what the hell? What about the crash? <laughs> So, I'd love to know if you had a head injury, probably. I did, yeah, whatever. Maybe that's where I got my spinals. <laughs> so neither, you you just walked away clear, clean, not, not no scratches, no bruises, just woohoo, I'm a helicopter survivor, yeah, crash survivor. It was, it was he was, I must say, I had worked with fires and he was a great pilot. And I think because he had been in... Uh, in situations in fighting fires and helping people rescue and so on. He could maneuver the minute, but mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of helicopter pilots because we have a picture of it since. And he said, he said, that's, that's, that's what you're doing there. That you survived. He said, it's sort of amazing. So anyway, so crash landed, bought the place the same day. <laughs> and he probably thought, well, I ruined that sale. He's not going to. Yeah. So, <laughs> I crashed. You have to be a certain age to be that, that crazy, really. And, and I, I was at the property. <laughs> so um, you, you crash land, you buy the property. Uh, are there still parts of this? Like, did you keep parts of this helicopter? No, the yeah. helicopter was could never be repaired. It was gone. But you didn't and, want to keep uh, any for memorabilia, <laughs> like well, keep a blade. I, I wasn't thinking that way. Although we did, <laughs> this is enough. We we crash landed on limestone. Oh. And, and and limestone, you know, in the Irish world is is very lucky. Yes. Yeah, and and so I've often thought that maybe had something to do with it. Of course, we know it does it scientifically, but there was, 
there was a, something in Irish lore that suggested that. Oh, yeah. We, I, didn't I, know it was I didn't know it was limestone at the time. Until <laughs> you started. All, the, the greatness of, of the land all came much later on. I had no idea. To me, it was just visual. In fact, I started out, there's nothing to do with vineyards. We, I went from the farming the previous farmer had done. I did that for a couple of years. And then we ended up with our cattle would be fun to have. It was, to me, kind of a movie set at the end of the day at that point. Okay. And, and, and cattle was like, uh, having cattle was, uh, had that kind of Western romantic. And uh, I took that all in uh, pretty good. I, I, we never, I never, I learned a little bit about, uh, there was early on certain things I learned um, a bit about the limestone, and I and I remember looking it up because I actually was interested in wine even before Marion was, and I realized that limestone that you don't grow grapes. This is one of the first things I learned that nobody else that I know about, very let's say very few, like nobody in Napa has ever mentioned that you don't grow in France a vineyard unless it's in limestone. And you stop where the limestone stops. But I can't have that discussion with anybody because they don't know it. But it's, I have two <laughs> books, most famous book on, on wine history, and that's what it says. And there's a book also I have there on champagne. And it says I was champagne. Say, you champagne know, is very regulated by that limestone. Absolutely. Limestone, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's very important because limestone is magnesium and calcium, essential for life. Magnesium being by far, far, far most important nutrient. And none of us, by the way, get enough that it's one of the reasons a lot of us suffer in terms of health because we get very little magnesium. But for uh, vine health, it's so incredibly important. But that all came later, as you you know a bit. That. And now, a word from our sponsor. Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracaena Wines, Dracaena Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in wine enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. So that's what I was going to ask. You you purchased the land and you were doing cattle and uh, you you were doing, were you doing like olive trees or so? No. No, okay. So What happened, the story there goes from, uh, I was... Uh, doing some film and writing and doing stuff in terms of the Hollywood thing. And I had a banker and his name was Justin Baldwin, Century City. And I go in there every now and then and make a deposit or get some money out of do something. And I always have a little chat with Justin. And one day he, I guess we got talking. I can't remember how it started, but we talked about owning some land, Paso Robles. And, and, and it's interesting at that time, I knew there was something unique about the land. 
And why is unique besides seeing this limestone? I knew the weather. I'd never seen weather like this, nor had anybody else, where there was absolutely no humidity, which is the most important thing you could ever have for wine, so you never had a spray. So there are a lot of indications of that. Uh, and I knew about uh, there was something in terms of the natural fertilization, because early on, I got a Japanese garden. I wanted to do a beautiful garden, and he came, and he did, and he fertilized it well, and it all died. Because when you're on top of three volcanoes, there's a lot of fertilizer there. Plus, the limestone is a fertilizer. Plus, then later on, I learned we had calcium colonic, which is called the wonder soil in France. And then we have a soil that doesn't exist anywhere on Earth that's even more. So with all of that, which I didn't know about, uh, you got to be very careful if you fertilize. But anyway, getting back to Justin, I was talking a little bit about this, and he was on his way to Napa. He wanted to do the Great Bordeaux. And then I naively said to him, why would you go to Napa? Well, uh, I said, they don't have limestone there. And I was naive, but uh, I think I had some good insight into that. So he started getting interested and I started telling him that we have almost zero humidity and that was no, we, oh, the other thing I knew from the big UCLA study way back then, that we had more days of sun, the west side of Paso Robles, than any place in California. And uh, having a lot of sun is really good for grapes. Kind of important. <laughs> yeah. And that's one reason why we get monster uh, ripening, of course. And so he came, saw the land, and begged me to sell him some. I ended up selling him half um, the vineyard. And of course, as we go on in life, yeah. uh, the Resnick folks fell in love with the two and they um, bought him up, but he right. still works. So it's an, oh, and so but when, when Justin started doing the grape, but I, I got then caught up in it. And so when he began to plant, I planted and I planted the same varietals. And that's how I began. Oh, okay. All right. So you sell your property to Justin and then ah, go yeah. and then go, huh, he's doing it. I can do it. This is good. <laughs> what it was, I thought at that point, because I was getting a little tired of cattle. cattle. I didn't want to go back to, to, to growing uh, wheat and, um, and barley. And I said, well, this, because wheat and barley and safflower, you, you got to plant every year. What I liked about this is you only do it once. You put the money up. And you have, this is a hell of a lot better than the other thing. Plus, I'm not chasing cattle all over the place. And uh, so it seemed like a, a great idea. And Marion, my wife, uh, was a great, as mentioned, a wine lover. Anyway, in a, in a good way. And, uh, and that began that story. And, and then uh, did you hire a winemaker? Did you hire a vineyard manager? Or did you just say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this? This is, this well, is my gig. Well, Justin and I worked together on that. We had a, a, a manager. We had uh, a vine grower, uh, Juan Navarez. Actually, he ended up living on the property, on my property. But he, and, and we did, by the way, Cabernet Franc, we're the first to grow Cabernet, Cabernet Franc. Oh, Remember that? all right. I'm going to have to hit you up and get, get some, uh, we, we've been looking for some Cab Franc from the west side because we're you on the east side. Yeah. <laughs> no. you, have you know, an interesting little sidelight on Cabernet Franc. 
when I very early on, uh, my son lives in Bethesda, which right next to Virginia, and I used to go to Virginia. I love I love their wineries and food wine. They never ever had Cabernet Franc there. Yeah. And I was talking to a guy who was quite influential, and I was telling him Cabernet Franc how it's less susceptible to uh, 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 to certain moisture and so on. And I kept talking, and he came out and and started using it. He was very influential there, and to this day, in Virginia, Cabernet Franc is a dominant variety. Yeah, and it also and started our conversation. It has. Every, it has. Claimed, they're they're starting to claim it as their grape varietal, um, well, as well as uh, the Hudson Valley is calling it their grape variety. Yeah, yeah and they can thank they can thank me for that. All right, okay. They didn't know jack about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you may not have enough to sell to me, but I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go see these see these vineyards uh, one of these days. Um, right. So now you you were one of the initial people on on the west side of Paso, and long before Paso became Paso. I mean, I think it's only we were before Paso became Paso, and we're we're young. Um, you know, uh, our first vintage was 2013 and we, for years we would have to see, you know, they, where's the, where's the winery? Paso Robles. Where? Paso Robles. You know, and then like, uh, oh, how many times have we said San Francisco, Los Angeles in the middle, right? And, and then now when you say Paso Robles, people actually know where Paso Robles is or they've at least heard about it. So I'm curious because I've seen so much change in Paso in just the years that we've been there. Um, like, what have you seen as like major, major changes that are, are, are evolu the evolution of Paso Robles since you've been there? I think one of the beauties of Paso Robles is that it hasn't changed fundamentally. And if you go into town, there's still the library, there's still the park, and the restaurants, they've got, they get more every year. But that is what made Paso Robles special, because it's, it's, it, it has the Agora, it has the, and no, the Tuscadero, other towns, Santa Barbara, they do not have that. And there is a, a Cal Poly, a great professor woman who wrote a book on that very subject, and saying, without the Agora, you'll never be a great town. No. In fact, New York, for one reason, New York is a great city because it has, it has a central park in the center. Right. So without that central park, and, that's, and the Greeks came up with that, you had to have a central right. park. And everything goes around that. But Paso Robles is it, and there's no other place that has that in California, except one other small town way up north. And so that's what makes it have, uh, have this unique attraction. And whereas in Napa, there is no central aspect. Uh, I, I never really know where the vineyards and vines are kind of all over the place. Good on the main drag. And, but in Paso Robles, the beauty of it, you're on the east side. There's people on, there's, if you look at the map, that's the centerpiece. And that's as Greek as it can be in, term, in terms of what a great town has to be. And we've kept that, thankfully, kept that. Mm -hmm. We haven't, and, and and the our people that that have uh, had a lot to say about this town have kept that intact. And even the restaurants here, you can't be a commercialized restaurant. They all have to be 
run by individuals, a chef or something. So, and the other thing that I love because I'm a very visual guy, a painter, Paso Robles, as you go down the main drags, does not have any electric wires above. <laughs> that drove me, when I lived in Mandeville Canyon, it drove me crazy there when I went up to Napa. Uh, I love Napa, but it was awful because the main drag, these kind of things I noticed, have electric going all the way down. And I thought a lot of people have really cared about this town and now it's paying off. I can't imagine why anybody would be going anywhere else for wine or vineyards and not want to go to Paso Robles since it's the only damn Mediterranean climate <laughs> left. You know, this is a very shocking thing that should be to most Americans that after thousands of years of Mediterranean climate, if you, you know, there's a huge study on this with 40 uh, countries involved, you can look it up and they show where Mediterranean climate was just a few years back all along the world. Mediterranean climate is very, very rare, first of all. In all of the United States, if you look at if you look at the map of North South America, the only Mediterranean climate that exists was this band in California, and some a little bit in Chile, and that's the end of that. And then in and then in uh, in the other continent, a little bit in Australia. But if you look at the map, it's just tiny. People don't realize the Mediterranean climate, and the Romans who conquered everything would only conquer places that had Mediterranean climates because they wanted to grow grapes everywhere. As they pretty much did. As they did. <laughs> the fact that global warming, we thankfully, uh, that we got rid of most of the Mediterranean climate in the world today. Yeah. And whether some comes back miraculously, I don't know. But in California, there is none now. And and little by little, they're having a harder and harder time, as you know, Napa. They can't grow a lot of the varietals that are very dependent. Fortunately, grapes could grow anywhere, anytime. Most grapes, and you can make wine. As my grandfather, as a grandfather did in Boston. That was my first introduction. They made wine from wherever they could get grapes. But, but to have the supreme wine, we know, which is the Cabernet Franc you love. Cabernet Franc, Franc, Frank, Franc, Frankenstein, Cabernet Frankenstein uh, <laughs> needs for its full glory Mediterranean climate. Now, there are little aspects, by the way, of Mediterranean climate in the east side, you know that. And hopefully you have one. And we, uh, you know, and you have you have the whole Templeton Gap uh, AVA That's that right. comes in and brings yeah. that brings that over to the east side. So yeah, it's, there, there, there it, it, it seeps in there. But yeah. outside, of, we're full out, and our Mediterranean climate starts about four or five miles with us, and which is now dominated by the sea climate. And by the way, that's an interesting thing about us because we're told you we're the world's greatest, right? You know that. You have to repeat but, that. Start that is what you said. I Remember, actually, I'm not saying actually, that. that is my next question. I said when we spoke on the phone, you stated that Cardi McKnight is the greatest wine on earth. I said yes, that is, is a tall statement by that far, is, by far the greatest wine on earth. Close so. by far. <laughs> well, it's the greatest. So greatest tell us why. It's, well, it's growing in the greatest soils. All right, and I mentioned some of the soils. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Besides, oh, we have not only limestone, but we have black limestone. No one ever heard of that. It's even greater than limestone. It's fine. We have three volcanoes. Do you know of any other winery vineyard on earth that has even one volcano? No. And why is volcanoes important? Because the magma is so rich. Yes. Oh, Mount Etna. You got to love those wines yeah. in Mount Etna. <laughs> then we have 
what they call the wonder soul French people should look up it's called the wonder soil it's called castle marmalade called the wonder soil wonder and that you call the wonder soil castle marmalade and in uh and in the the most expensive like Romani Conti is supposed to have you look this all look up a bottle castle marmalade you know a little bit of it we have massive amounts of it half the soil then when the studies came in, see, people are not going to, 300 earth scientists from all over the world and universities are not going to come and spend 15 and 20 years studying if it's not the world's greatest, right? Eh? What, what, why would they? And you, it's the world's you greatest. You need to have one of your labels you need to draw, although it probably would be not allowed. But you know how like it's the greatest show on earth is, you know, Barnum and yeah, Bailey. Well, you need to have a label be the greatest wine on earth. I, I, I didn't say, I didn't come up with that uh, concept. Tom Rice and the heads of Cal Poly came up with it. And that's why they came, they didn't go up and not but study. They didn't go to Bordeaux and say there's nothing to study there. And and when I say I, we have pictures that are on a website of as many as 30, 40, 50 earth scientists from all the countries, I shouldn't say all the countries, but a majority of the European countries come there to study. And the reason they told me countless times, because they could not study what they wanted to study anywhere else because the, the other place had used petroleum fertilizers and all kinds of things that would destroy a natural environment. That's what they are. So why is it the greatest? We have never fertilized, ever. And most people around you in Napa are not only fertilizing, but they're using petrochemical fertilizers. They're giving all our friends cancer. That's why the point is, what I want to make is we're the world's greatest, but a lot of other people could be great too Absolutely. if they followed us. Yeah, Absolutely. we don't want to be the world's greatest. We want to be just one of the wines out there. The fact that we're the world's greatest, to me, in some ways, is disgusting. <laughs> well, we do. We do. I have to say, Talos Creek is pretty uh, vocal in nothing. In, those all those people uh, uh, fertilize. And, and matter of fact, it was already to begin with. There's nothing wrong with it. It's done well, but they were uh, grafted vines, which makes it more it's more difficult. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, 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 we should have a lot of this. It's happening. It's happening. You can't take back what people have done in the past. But, but I don't know if you could take it's back. Happening. I don't think you could take back 20 years of petroleum fertilizing the soils. You know what that does. It destroys the soil. I do. I do. But I do have to say, um, I don't know if you are, because he's, he's not Paso, um, if you are familiar with uh, Craig Camp. Uh, so he's in Oregon, Troon Vineyards. Are you familiar with Troon Vineyards? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm familiar with Oregon. Oregon has yeah. no Mediterranean climate. Yeah, no, but we, we you can see. About this. Yeah. No, uh, wine has been around for thousands of years, okay? It's been studied all the time. It's in the book. If, you, if anybody takes the time to read the history book of wine, no Mediterranean climate, no grapes. Well, now you can grow any grape. I, I, I want to be careful to say that. Right, you're right. Not you're grow, talking high quality. Fly, you're not going to grow the supreme grapes. So why right. would I go to Oregon? I, <laughs> I wasn't going to say you should go to Oregon. I just was going to say you can see the difference that when Craig came into his vineyard, 
it was it was a horrible it, it was so who's Craig again? Sorry, Craig so Camp in Troon Vineyards. Oh, yeah. okay. That's so he, he is a he's a true proponent of organic and biodynamic and all of that. And I don't know what that means. If you could explain what biodynamic means, explain to me. I've looked it up and looked it up and looked it up. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> Just being the, the true belief of giving back to the environment versus taking from the environment. That's the simple. Does. That's no, what I'd love to see. But, but that's they okay. We are seeing more and more. We are seeing more and more. And and I yeah. agree, you can't you can't take back what has happened for 20, 30, 60 years, but you can stop doing it and well, yeah, start taking start yeah. taking care of it and that's what i'm saying is there's vineyards such as such as troon that pre taking care of the vineyard um was was garbage vineyard like it was horrible the vines were struggling everything and now you look at these vineyards and the cover crop is beautiful and the right. vines are producing healthy grape bunches and stuff so i uh, agree with you you it's and i, and I want to, and I want to make it <laughs> i want to make it clear and support you and that is you can still make wonderful wines important wines healthy wines and, and not be in the mediterranean climate be, be, they don't have to be cabernet frank we have what hundreds of thousands of varietals that can make wonderful wine. So there's it's nothing to do with that. Uh, I mean, see, as we talk about the, about the wine, prime five or it's six, it's complex. It's like art. It's got, if we're talking about the supreme wines, that's going to be one conversation. But the but the overriding issue for me is uh, how uh, first of all Napa. To be honest about Napa, and it's one reason all those three hundred scientists never went to Napa because Napa is a alluvial fill and it has no uh, nutrients in that soil. The only nutrients they've ever had are the nutrients they they uh, apply. And of course, as, as petroleum fertilizer came in after the war, then everybody went to that. But before that, people would grow naturally. So when people say organically, uh, that's why I don't know what it means is I don't, because I don't know what fertilizers they're using. I don't know if they're spraying. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, and I know what we're doing because it's been, as a matter of fact, I'll show you what we've been doing, if I can find it here. Oh, yeah. Hold on one second. Uh, you, yeah, anyway, I have a pile of books there. And these are studies. They're 130, 40-page studies on our vineyard by all the scientists. Not all of them, but uh, in part. And they're thick books, 130, 40 pages, filled with the most... Uh, advanced studies ever done of the earth. They use technology never used before, going way down and, and seeing what goes on. Okay. By the way, the, the, the other uniqueness, of, of course, of the, of, of the West Side is that it was, uh, that's where the ocean went to, and that's one of the reasons there's limestone. As, as you know, in other parts of the country, the same thing happened. But I, when I say we're the world's greatest, we are, because it's science. It's just science. I can get Doc uh, who'll say that. But ah, I love a, it. It's a, it's a crime, and others should be doing that. Well, you know what? It always takes one. You have to, you ha have to be the leader. They well, can, fo the they can follow your suit. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't buy into that anymore. Because we've been the one for thirty-five years, and and what's incredible in the ignorance is that I've almost seen no one around here ever 
really understand what went on with all these studies. And what they learned by the studies, it's the most important thing I could tell you or anyone, what they learned by the studies, that flavors don't come from chemicals, which is cursing the wine. They come from the macro and micronutrients that you must have. That's where flavors come from. And that's also where health comes from. That's why I came in, brought up in a Sicilian family. And when I was five years old, I had the honor of bringing up the wine from my grandfather's cellar. And every Sicilian grandfather for all time would make the wine. And I was the first one to drink the wine. <laughs> and all the other kids were, because that was before antibiotics. And wine was the most important thing for all those people, French times, to preserve your health. health. The idea yeah. we're in a society where kids can't even drink a wine is so laughable. And of course, they've never read history either. Yeah. That's, but wine, that's what I centuries. said to you on the phone. That's why Sicilians wine. live a long time, man. They <laughs> don't have the heart disease. But, but wine for centuries, uh, first of all, supplied the nutrients when you couldn't grow. As for the Roman army, they, they by law, they each had to, drink, they had to drink a liter of wine. And uh, in my household, which, by the way, had the five healthiest children being studied to the state, never had heart disease, didn't even know the word cancer, all of that. And remember, they drank eight fresh vegetables about a week or two of the year. That's all you could grow there in Boston. And so the rest of the year, they based on two things. On the wine they made, they knew that it was the purest, and the olive oil from Sicily. That's their entire health. We do none of that today. No. None, right? Nope. Well, I drink a lot of wine. I'll live forever. No, but it's <laughs> got to be wine not polluted. Right. And you can make that for yourself, obviously. So, <laughs> so let, let's go move. I, uh, we're almost at our hour. Actually, we're, we're at our hour. But I just want to, <laughs> your labels are so beautiful. So I want to, I want to give some credit to them because you're the artist behind all the labels. And I noticed that a lot of them have horses. So is there a story behind what? You can see this. Because uh, my daughter loves her. Can they see this? Yeah, can sure. See, can you see this? That's a drawing, of course. Uh, yes, yes. That's that's the one I saw on the on the website. It's so beautiful. It's it's like a pencil drawing of. It's a drawing, pencil drawing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not my necessarily my style, but I, but it's but I, I brought this actually to China. It was almost a Chinese version of a horse. Anyway, yes, yeah, pencil, but that was uh, I've done literally hundreds of labels, hundreds. In fact. That's what we're going to look at today. Mm -hmm. And we sold wine in China, which, by the way, we got, when we were in China, we, we were on the cover. Wine in China is the number one wine in China. And uh, I did uh, about 20, 30 labels for various wines for them. We got very involved with them because they actually, uh, as a matter of fact, they, they got very involved in the studies. They know more about our studies than any and anyone. In they actually, they brought samples of all the soil back there in the bottles that Tom Rice had originally done. They, uh, they brought back calcium and I, I, I did a, uh, at the Beijing university, the most important university, I did a speech there with 300. I was invited to do a speech and there I, I raised the toast to the calcium and See, they know about calcium and And then every, we had about five, six, seven events. Some attended as much as 30, 40, 50, people. They all drank calcium and Hey, 
Amazing. Probably a lot healthier than we are too. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so you do draw, you draw all of your labels um, and you just, do you, do you taste the wine and get, you know, this is what I feel the label is or, or are you drawing well, if labels? I, if, I, and, if I got there, it'd be, I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, that's like, uh, uh, the, 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 the <laughs> It's funny the the French impressions as well. They they rely a lot on alcohol to give them some inspiration. <laughs> but I, but I don't I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. maybe I should. Maybe at some point I'll, I'll change course. Yeah. All right, and then just lastly, um, where can where can people find you? You know, when I went online, um, there you know. Harmonymcknight.com, and they can buy uh, a, a real a wine, a luxury wine, and and. Uh, as I mentioned, um, up in Napa, um, they've got about 30, 40 wines among the cheapest, I think is Brian family, maybe of $800 a bottle. Uh, and you know, we're far greater than that. Far, far. But, so also if I can chime in a little bit, uh, Lori, yeah. is that, um, right now our, um, our wines are our library wines. And, uh, and we're strictly on allocation uh, to list members. So we certainly are inviting uh, anybody to uh, you know, join our list for allocations and future allocations. Uh, we have this every beautiful, beautiful wines that are in barrel right now. And, uh, and as those are bottled, uh, we are gonna be reaching out to, uh, to our list members and, and making offers. Uh, for very rare, limited uh, release uh, luxury allocation wines. And uh, they're only reds and uh, uh, Bordeaux blends. Uh, our Cuvie Cadenza is uh, Cab Franc uh, Merlot Cabernet. And uh, we're very excited about that. And uh, we also have a Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we may actually do some specialty labels as well. Yeah, uh, which we're looking at through some of our associations. And the reason for that is, is, is Mark likes a few different wines that have fun. It is fun. Yeah. And I like to have fun doing a few different labels. So he said, what the hell? We'll do some, we'll, some of the barrels. We'll do it together. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then, Mark, are you If you can't have fun with it, then what the hell's it? Well, in, the meantime, it. in the meantime, I'll, I'll, I'll bring over some barrel samples of uh, Cab Franc and then uh, you and I can share that and drink some Dracaena. Okay, that, sound, that sounds wonderful to me. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> but is uh, Carmody McKnight, are you on social media at all? or? Um... Yes, we do. We have a Facebook page uh, okay. as well. And uh, we're starting to post there. And we're also uh, just starting to release our single estate uh, Tuscan Volcanic Olive Oil. Mm -hmm. And that's called oh. Pacific Oliva. Uh, Tuscan Volcanic, also very limited release, uh, 1,500 bottles uh, that you'll see out there as well. Yeah, and that's another Beautiful. story we won't get into, but <laughs> if you want to talk about the, the world's greatest, uh, <laughs> uh, we were the first to plant the Tuscan olive tree in California and in the United oh, States. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nobody knows that. And yet the olive tree, the Sicilian olive and the other Italians, it's Tuscan olive. For centuries, they've been growing those trees. Here in California, it started by accident by Gary Conway and Marion <laughs> Conway. And at that point, when we realized that we were all being fooled by this 
fake olive oil that we thought was olive oil. We could not find one single Tuscan olive plant. We had we went up north. It's a whole story. It's another whole story. <laughs> but, uh, but the reason I got passionate about that is when I was five years old, my grandmother, married to my grandfather who made the wine, uh, cured me of pneumonia. At five, there was a death sentence just about oh. with olive oil put all over me. And people in this country, that's another scandal that the, when you go buy olive oil in the market, it's fake. <laughs> I will, attest, I will attest that I have had I have had the olive oil you buy in the store, even what they call is good olive oil. But I have also had true Tuscan olive oil, and it is it is night and day. I will I will. <laughs> yeah, you got to try ours. Ours is uh, is a whole right. different world. All right, bring Plus it with the cap franc. <laughs> <Right. laughs> but but go just going back so that people know more about you. Um, online the allocations. Uh, is it is it uh, X amount of bottles or every vintage is different. And do since yeah. it is so limited, is, is there an allocation every vintage? There is not an allocation every vintage just because we have so, so little uh, of it. Uh, but uh, we will be releasing um, uh, vintage designated uh, uh, 2017, 18, and 19. Well, oh, also, we, had, we're, yeah. we're, we never had a, a regular program because all the studies I keep mentioning about uh, they were all over the vineyard, and they interfered even with being able to uh, to have a proper uh, harvest. And so we had allocated a certain amount to other people, but then we couldn't have some for ourselves. So it's been a little bit disruptive, but now it'll be more regular than it has been. Wonderful. Yeah, so. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on and sharing your stories, uh, you know, and uh Definitely the most uh, intriguing how you find how you found property ever. I don't think that that will ever <laughs> be surpassed. But thank yeah. you very much for sharing. And I look forward to being able to uh, barrel sample. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that, Mark. I'm going to come on over to the, I'm going to come on over to the west side. And, uh, I'll come to you as well. And Laura, you're right. fun to talk with. Oh, great to talk with. Oh, even, well, if thank you. Doing, even if we're not doing a podcast, love to talk yeah. to you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I would love to talk to you also. And, you know, I'm all, I, I'll come on over. You, you know, what, what you invite me, I'm coming. That's all you can tell you. <laughs> but uh, awesome. I would love to see, I would love to see your say. Um, I'm in my brain. I'm kind of knowing where it is by how you were describing things, but um, it would be wonderful to see it in real life. So we're as far you. west as you can go, by the way. Far west. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. In, in five more, five more miles. You're in Big Sur in the ocean. So. <laughs> there you go. So thank you very much. Thank you. And I appreciate. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, to share your story with my listeners. And um, I will. Uh, I, I normally would have a glass and say slancha, so we'll just fake clink um, to to say uh, you know slancha. And uh, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, Laura. You take care. Thank you. Bye.